guys are ready this morning. It's good. I feel a little bit uh, quieter vibe, but I am keyed up. I will tell you what, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, we are finishing Ecclesiastes today, and um, I, I feel it. I, I really feel the text here. There's, um, there's a big weight on my heart, and I can't wait to just belt it out. So let's pray, and here we go. God, you, you're good. Uh, this is your book. You've given it to us so that we can see who you are. And when we see who you are, we worship you and we cling to Jesus because you are the only thing worth clinging to and you give us joy unspeakable. Or that's what we're going after today. We want to be people who rejoice. We want to be people who swim in the depths of the ocean. We want to get out of the kiddie pool. God, we're, we're wanting more of you today. I love you. Amen. Um, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 11. Last week we learned that life is short, um, that we got to look ahead, not behind to the good old days. So we're not doing any good old days, Ecclesiastes 1 through 10. We're just pre- pressing ahead. We're moving forward. But I think they were good old days in a sense. So if you want to remember those, remember what we learned about, they are online. So you can find them there. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. There's, there's a lot here, a lot. And again, um, as I've been struggling with every week, I, I got to just take what I'm given. I got to ask the Spirit, Lord, lead me to what you want to preach today. And it's a lot today. It's, it's two full chapters. And um, what we're doing is we're breaking it up into two sections. First section is going to be one through six in chapter 11. Very practical, very simple. And then we are going to dive into the deep end and we're really going to see where our joy and our rejoicing is founded in, namely our remembering of who God is and what God has done. And then we will finish with 13 and 14 because you really cannot read and go through Ecclesiastes without getting to the last two verses. So if you were to start in chapter 9, and move all the way through kind of where we're ending today with 11, you'd get this theme where Solomon just kind of hashes it out and he says that you and I are completely oblivious to anything that's going on not right in front of our eyes. We have no idea what's going on behind us, right? I mean, the person sitting behind you could be four inches from you kind of sniffing your perfume behind. It's kind of creepy, but you'd have no idea. Right? You would have no idea. If you have kids right now in Sunday church, you have no idea what's going on. Right? You don't know what kind of glue they might be eating. You don't know who's watching them. I'm, I'm joking. We really screen those people. It's not a big deal. No, really, my wife, uh, she wanted to do Sunday school, and, and I figured, well, since I'm a pastor, I'm sure they'll let her do it. I mean, we're talking about DNA tests, blood tests, background, criminal, the whole deal. So you're safe there. Don't worry about it. But, but really, Solomon just hashes out that we have no idea what's going on that's not right in front of us. And, and that's currently, and, and let alone what is ahead. Right, what's ahead? You don't know if I'm just going to get loud all of a sudden. You don't know that. Or if I'm going to get quiet, we really don't know what's coming. Right, we don't know what's ahead. You don't know if we're going to be here for 30 minutes or for 90 minutes. <laughs> you don't know. Right? You don't know. We, we don't know what's happening next week. And, and we can take an educated guess. 
Right? You, you can look at your life and you can say, okay, well, I think this might happen, and I think this might happen, but the fact of the matter is that I guarantee you, even today, something's going to happen that you didn't prepare for. Something's going to happen this week that you were not ready for. Something's going to happen that you did not see coming. And in light of this, Solomon gives us some words of wisdom. He gives us kind of an exhortation of what it means to live wisely, knowing that we don't know what's ahead. We don't know what is coming, right? We, we pay for that too, right? We, we live in a society where because we don't know what's coming, we, we pay for it and we pay a lot of money for it, right? It's, it's a little institution called insurance, right? Insurance. We have a plethora of different types of insurance, right? You have health insurance, you got auto insurance, you have home insurance, you have disability, you have workers' comp, you got life insurance, you got casualty insurance, you got unemployment, you got fire, you got flood. There are so many different types of insurances. When I was looking this up, you can even get insurance on terrorism. Right? You can get a terrorism insurance. So if your house gets blown up by a terrorist, you can have insurance for that. Right? Or you can have insurance for kidnap and ransoming. So, so if someone gets kidnapped in your family, if you had insurance for that, you would be okay. And only in America, you can get health insurance for your pet, right? You can get pet health insurance. And all these things are true because we don't know what's coming, right? And, and it's kind of frustrating. I mean, if you are anything like, like I am, I've been paying a lot of money over the last 10, 15 years in auto insurance. And I've never cashed in on anything. And I'm wondering, where's all that money going to? Right? We, we pay because we don't know what's coming. So let's get into the word. That's, that's a big, long intro. That Here we go. 11.1. Again, wise versus foolish living. 11.1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Casting your bread upon the waters is from an ancient Egyptian saying, do a good deed, throw it in the river, and when it dries up, you shall find it. He's saying here, if you're wise, you're going to work hard, you're going to plan, you're going to prepare, and you're going to use your resources now, right now, to help the people who are in need around you right now. Because guess what? There's a day coming, and it's coming soon, when you probably will need help as well. Right? So if you've lived a life of investing in people, of helping people, when a time will come, and it will, when you need help, there will be people there to help you. Right? This isn't a magic formula. It's not, you know, do this and you'll get this in return. No, it's, this is wise living. Right? If, if you're kind of a recluse and you don't help anyone and you're, you're never making friends, then when something bad happens to you and you need help, no one's going to be around. So Solomon says it's wise to build relationships, to help people where they are at now so that when you need it, and you will, people will be there for you, right? Because life happens, right? You, you lose a, a job, right? Um, a car breaks down, and you need to call a friend. Hey, come pick me up. I'm 100 miles from nowhere. And if you have friends and they know that you love them, they will be there for you, right? So, again, simply not... Um, not, this isn't theology, this is just practical, simple living, practical, simple advice. Solomon says, be there for people, help them now, because there will be a time in the future when you will need help yourself. Let's keep going in verse 3. 
If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. We're going to keep going. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. So wise people, Solomon says, make plans. We execute plans because we don't know what's ahead in the future, right? We don't know. So, so we plan, we execute plans, but, but this is all simply an act of faith at one level because we don't know what's coming. But that doesn't keep us from trying, right? That absolutely does not keep us from trying. So wise people in their planning, in their hard working, what do they do? They, they stay up late, they go to bed, or, or they, they get up early, they go to bed late, they work hard, they plan for things, they're not lazy, but in all of this, they know that this is an act of faith, right? This is an act of faith. Anything that we do is simply an act of faith towards the future, because here's why. Four times in six verses, Solomon says this simple phrase, you don't know, right? You do not know in verse two. For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Verse 5, you don't know the way of the Spirit. You don't know the work of God, for you do not know which will prosper. We don't know what's coming, right? We don't know. But Solomon tells us, in light of not knowing what's coming, in the morning sow your seed. Work hard in the evening, right? Because you don't know which one will prosper. So faith says, I'm going to do what I've been commanded to do, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to press after my goals. And in the midst of all this, I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of me because his knowledge and his power are far superior than mine. So I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm also going to trust that if it doesn't quite work out the way I wanted it to work out, that God is moving and working in that. Right? So what does this look like if, if you're young and you're single and, and you want to be somewhere in life? Maybe you want to get married. What are you doing right now in your life that's putting you in a place to get married? Right? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you seeking a profession? Are you seeking a job? What are you doing? Right? Are you pressing into the Lord that, in, in such a way that will prepare you for marriage? Right? Or are you kind of just sitting back and, and waiting? You know, sitting back playing video games and, and wondering, God, why isn't anyone coming into my life? Like, this doesn't make sense. Lord, why, you're the one who's in control. Why isn't anyone coming in? Solomon says, no, 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 no. You, you got to do your part. You got to press in. You got to work hard. You got to plan. Be ready. Be ready because you don't know what's coming. Right? Maybe you have kids. And, and you want them to grow up and you want them to know the Lord. What are you doing to prepare them for that? Right? Are, are you abdicating your role to the Sunday school teacher or to their coaches or to their school teachers so that they can kind of just teach them everything and you can continue on with your little boy hobbies? Or are you pressing into your children? Right? Are you pressing and saying, I want you to love Christ, so I'm going to teach you everything I know so that you will love him. 
And granted, keep in mind that the whole time, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I could spend all of my time pressing in on my kid, teaching them the ways of the gospel, and they might run the other way. Right? But that doesn't mean I'm just going to let them go. It doesn't mean I'm just going to hold back and say, all right, Lord, you're in control. I'm not going to do anything because they're just going to do what they want to. Right? Solomon says that's not wise. That is simply not wise. Foolish people always make excuses why to not, uh, foolish people always make excuses as to why they might fail, and they never try. Right? Always making excuses, and you can make an excuse about anything. Right? I didn't come to church because I didn't want to drive because my car might have blown up. It, it might have, right? Or I didn't want to call because, you know, maybe you were taking a nap and I didn't want to. I didn't want to wake you up. Heaven forbid that phone ring and, and you were sleeping. And, and you can do that with anything. You can make excuses about anything. I didn't want to go because I didn't know anyone or I felt uncomfortable. And we can continue this lifestyle of making excuses or we can trust in the Lord that when we plan and prepare and work and press towards what he's called us to, that he will prepare us and he will take care of us. All right. So Solomon says, stop making excuses. Keep pressing forward. Keep pressing forward. Because you don't know what's coming. Right? You don't know what's coming. And I can say right here today that there's a perfect example of this. There are, there's a couple couples in this church right now who listened to what the Lord said when they were younger and they started a church and they pressed hard after the gospel. They didn't know what was coming. But because they did that, I, as a seven-year-old, entered their church and, man, laid a foundation for the gospel. I never to this day thought I'd be 26 up here preaching, let alone through Ecclesiastes, right? let alone before that Zephaniah. I mean, really, right? But because a few people were faithful to what they'd been called to do, God blessed them. They didn't know that that was coming. I didn't know that that was coming, but they listened and they pursued and they pressed forward. All right? So that's kind of our, our simple um, application to what is wise versus foolish. And now I really want to get into the text. This is the main portion here, starting in verse 7. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So while you are alive, which we all are right now, we are seeing light, we are under the sun, we have time. Now, today we do. We don't know what's ahead, but today we are living for the Lord today and we're using our, um, our gifts today to glorify the Lord and, and we're enjoying Him and we're rejoicing in Him today because we have today, right? We have right now. We don't know what's coming in the future, but we have now, we have now, and, and he continues this, and it gets a lot deeper here. Verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the way of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Right? That, 
That, to me, sounds like good news. If you just read that, no one's going to say that's a bad idea. Everyone's going to say, yeah, walk in the way of your heart. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you feel good. Right? That's great news. Who who doesn't want to hear that? Right? Who doesn't want to hear, do whatever you want to do that'll make you happy? Right? That's what we do. That's what we do as creatures, as created beings. We strive for happiness. Right? So on Saturday morning when we wake up, we say, what am I going to do today that's going to bring me the most amount of happiness? Right? That's what we do. We strive after happiness. That's the way we were created to be. Right? Blaise Pascal, a 17th century philosopher, has this quote. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. Right? And Solomon commands us. He says, be happy. Rejoice. Be excited. It's expected here. This is, this is a command. And, and the fact of the matter is, we are fanatically good at rejoicing. Right? We are. We are. And if you don't believe me, wait till September. Right? And if you understood that reference, you just proved my point. Right? September football coming. We will scream. We will cheer. We will jump. Grown men will jump up and down for a 20-year-old boy running with a ball. Right? And we will, and emotionally something will go through us. I said, come on, right? We are created as worshipers. But here's the problem. As C.S. Lewis says, we are far too easily pleased. Right? So it's not a matter of, of us worshiping. It's a matter of us worshiping the wrong things or, or worshiping too shallowly. Right? There, there's an ocean out there and many of us are swimming in the kiddie pool. And we are far too easily pleased. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the days of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But, little caveat, but, don't forget, that for all these things, God's going to bring you into judgment. Right, so have a good time, rejoice as much as you can, but, but judgment's coming. Right, right after death, but judgment's coming. And we need to continue reading this whole section here to kind of um, get the big picture. This is, this is a lot. We're reading um, all the way through 12, 8 here. So follow along. So rejoice, O young men. We're starting with rejoicing, but don't forget, you're going to be judged for that rejoicing. And continue. He turns a little bit here starting with 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Starting at 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near to which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. So this next section that we're going to talk about is, is Solomon saying, hey, while you're young, enjoy life, because the day's coming very soon when you're not going to enjoy it. 
And this is what it's going to look like. There's a lot of metaphor here. And I'm going to uh, explain some of this kind of right in the middle as we read along. So if you're reading something and, and, and you say, well, I didn't see that in my Bible, that's just because I'm throwing it in there. So verse 2. And, and to be honest, we could go really funny with this. Like this could be a lot of fun, but there's a lot of people who are on the, on the uh, edges of glory and, and it could be offensive. So we're just going to stick in the middle here and we're going we're gonna to see what God has to say about growing old here. So verse 2, this is what it looks like to grow old. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, Okay, that's eyesight, before I lose my eyesight, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, my body is falling apart, and the strong men are bent, we are hunched over, and the grinders cease because they are few, we lose our teeth, and those who look through the window are dimmed, and the doors on the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, when we can't hear anymore, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, we wake up at anything, we're just up at five and we don't know why, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are also afraid of what is high and terrors are on the way, we're afraid of everything, we watch the news and are perpetually in a state of terror, and the almond tree blossoms, right, our hair turns white, or it leaves us all together, the grasshopper drags itself along. Our bodies become crippled. They're not working right. And desire fails. going to leave that alone. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go out to the streets. Verse 6, Before the silver cord is snapped, our bones are fragile. Or the broken or the golden bowl is broken, we lose our mental capacity. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, might leave that alone too. Or the wheel broken at the cistern, our heart are, is not working properly. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Finally, we die. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. It's all vanity. So celebrate your youth. Because a day is coming when you're not going to want to get up. Right? A day is coming when you're not going to want to live and it's going to hurt. And your body's going to ache. And you're just going to want to see the Lord and that's it. Right? That day is coming. It's coming quickly, Solomon says. Vanity of vanities. Right? The, the best translation there is, is vapor. It's, it's quick. You're here today, gone today. Right? You're not here for a while. It's, it's a vapor. Right? James 4.14, what is your life? It's a mist. It's a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Right? So Solomon says, rejoice in your youth. And, and let me say today that youth can mean while we are alive and while we can rejoice. Right? While you have the ability, be happy, rejoice, celebrate, celebrate, and also remove. Remove vexation 
from your heart. And, and again, we don't have a problem rejoicing. Right? We don't, that's not our problem. Our problem isn't that we don't rejoice. We are creatures who love to rejoice. We are really good at it. Our problem is we rejoice in the wrong things. And Solomon has a remedy for this. His remedy is from chapter 12, verse 1, with his simple word, remember. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember, remember who I am. Remember, I am Yahweh. I am the beginning. I am the end, right? It's about me. I've started this. I will finish it. Remember, the Bible is about what God has done and what man cannot do. Right? Remember who God is. Remember what He has done. Remember. So when we read the Bible, when we read the Old Testament, when we read the New Testament, it's all about remembering. Right? There's this rhythm throughout the whole thing that says, remember who I am. So when we read Exodus, right, and we see Moses, and we see him bringing the people out, right? We, what, who are we remembering? Are we, are we remembering Moses? No, we're remembering God, right? God is the one who brought the frogs. God is the one who turned the water into blood. God is the one who parted the Red Sea, who made the land dry. That was God. That wasn't Moses, right? When we get to Joshua, it, it was God who conquered Jericho. It wasn't Joshua, right? Because let's think about this. God's got a sweet plan, a great military strategy, right? God says, Joshua, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get everyone, and um, I want you to grab some trumpets. Okay, I mean, just ferocious weapons. Grab some trumpets. And I want you to, hear me carefully, I want you to walk around the city. And, and when you're done walking, I, I want you to go back to your camp. And then the next day, I want you to do it again. And, and you're going to walk around. Oh, yeah, yeah. And while you're walking, play your trumpets. Like, do whatever you want. Play your trumpets. And then the next day, you're going to walk again. And then you're going to walk again. And you're going to do that for seven days. And on the seventh day, you're just going to keep going. You're going to walk seven times around the city. And then, guess what? We're all going to blow our trumpets. I mean, that is great military strategy. Right? But, but that's the point. That's the point because it wasn't Joshua who did anything. It was God who did everything. Right? That's the point of the whole story. It was not Joshua. And, and then we get to, to Gideon, one of my favorites. Right? One of my favorites where, where you have a time period of, of seven years where the people of Israel were really uh, kind of forgotten God. They kind of turned their back on him. And so um, they were kind of hiding. They were in these little cliffs and, and they were planting their crops. And, and every year during harvest time, the Midianites would come and say, hey, thank you for these vegetables. And they took them. And the people got really angry. And they said, oh, didn't we used to serve a God who used to protect us? Like, maybe we should ask him for help. And so they do. And God comes and says, okay, Gideon, you're going to be the guy to bring um, uh, peace to your people. And Gideon says, but I'm not varsity. I'm, I don't even get picked in, J in P.E., Right? And, and God says, yeah, I know. That's the point. Right? Yeah, I know. So Gideon gathers 32,000 men. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. I, I got this. Right? We're, we're up against 120,000, but, but don't worry. So um, tell the people who are afraid, if they want to go home, they can go home. Right? So he, he tells them that. And, and 22,000 leave. And he's got 10,000. He's thinking, surely 
Lord, 10,000, I mean, okay, one versus 12, you know, we got some tough guys, but come on now. And God says, no, 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 I, I got this. I got this. And he brings it down to 300. And, and don't think of the movie 300, right? He's got 300. And he says, again, oh, yeah, bring those trumpets and bring some pottery too. Bring some pottery, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to blow our trumpets and we're going to throw our pots on the ground, right? Great military strategy. Great. And, and 120,000 get conquered. Now, now, why was that? Why did God do it that way? Because God says, remember, it wasn't you, little guy. It wasn't about you. It's about me. It's always about me. It's never about you, right? And my absolute favorite slash terrifying version of this comes from Job, right? If you have any church background, you know where I'm going with this. Job 38, right? Job starts to kind of question God. Why are you doing things this way? God, why would you do it like this and not like this? This doesn't seem to make sense. And, and Job, oh, he, he gets it. He gets it, right? Because God comes to him and he says, Who is this who darkens my words without knowledge? Right? Dress for action like a man. And I will question you and you will make it known to me. All I'm saying is if, if God tells you dress for action like a man, you know you're in trouble. Right? You, you know it's coming. Right? So, so when I'm young and my mom says, wait on your bed for your dad to get home, that's nothing. God says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Right? He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Joe? Joe, where, where were you? Tell me if you have understanding. Do you, did you determine its measurements? Surely you know. Right? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thickened dark, darkness its swaddling band, then prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed and he continues for 80 verses to job 80 verses and he says where did the snow come from surely tell me job you you must know where did can can, can you send lightning job can can you send lightning um right now job can you see the mountain goats giving birth can you can you see that job answers no. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done. Keep going. Dress for action like a man. And he goes for two more chapters. He says, behold, dress for action like a man. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you, Joe, put me in the, in the wrong? Remember who you are. Remember who I am. I'm not a man. I am God. Remember that. I am from the beginning. I am all the way to the end. And you need to know who you are. You're here today, gone today, Job. Solomon says in your youth, remember that. Remember who God is. Remember what God has done. And your affection for the gospel, your affection for Christ will run so deep 
the deeper you remember, the more joy you will get. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. And, and in my limited experience in life, and, and you can totally disagree with me if you want to here, I, I feel like we have um, kind of this idea that we on a linear level can kind of remember um, what God's done, right? This academic, what God has done, kind of this horizontal view of God, but, but we have a weak vertical view of, of who God is, I think. And um, God says, no, no, you need to know who I am. You, you need to know that. If you really want to rejoice, if you really want your affections to boil over, you need to know who I am. You need to know who I am. So because both are incredibly important, we need to, we need to look at both today. So remembering who God is. Okay? God is spirit. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. Right? He, he is infinitely unchangeable in his wisdom, in his power, in his might, in his goodness, and in his truth. We, we know this. God, God is in and of himself the ground of his own being. Right? Nothing exists outside of himself. He is the only uncaused being. We, we know this. He is infinite. He is infinite. His immensity can never be measured. Right? He knows no limits. He's completely outside of the limits of time, which means he has no beginning, he has no end, and there is no secession for him. Right? He, he doesn't see things as a matter of this happens and this happens and this happens. Everything to him is, is within the power of who he is. Right? So, so he is omniscient. He knows all things actual. God knows all things counterfactual. He knows what you're going to eat for lunch, and he knows if you were to live in a different universe, what you would eat for lunch then. Right? He knows everything. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Right? Psalms 115.3 says, God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Right? So we need to get it out of our minds that God is in the heavens, and he does what I want. No, God is in the heavens, and he does what he pleases. The, the story, the Bible, is, is all about I am God and there is no other. We, we need to remember that today. We need to remember who our Creator is. Not only that, we need to remember what our Creator has done. We need to remember what He has done. So, so He starts out in Genesis 1.1 and, and God created the universe. Right? It says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God made mankind. So he, he creates the universe, he creates us. So Genesis 1.27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then we turned our back on him, and, and he judged us. Right? He, he judged us, and death is coming. Genesis 3.19 by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But, but he doesn't stop at judgment, right? He pursues. And this is all within the first three chapters. Because 3.15, we get Jesus, right? In Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, so he creates. We turn our back. He judges. He pursues. He keeps pursuing. 
right? In Genesis 12, God says to Abraham that I will make you a great nation. And then in Exodus 6, he tells Moses, I will be your God and you will be my people. So he keeps pursuing us. And then he gives us Jesus. So God gives us Jesus in John 1.14. We read the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we can see the glory of the one and only full of grace and truth. So, so God sends Jesus. Then God dies. By Romans 5.8, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then God saves, right? John 11.25, I am the resurrection. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And, anyone who, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And, and he keeps going. He gives us the spirit and he started the church, right? Acts 1, 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And God has gone and he's preparing a place for us and he will return. John 14, 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house, There are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you myself that where I may be also. So remember who God is. Remember what he has done. And remember often. Remember often. Because the struggle that we face is that we come in here and then we forget. And from the inside of our souls to our very being, we want to forget. We want to forget who God is. We want to forget that He is God and that we are men. And we want to turn that and we want to make ourselves God. Right, right? We want that. God is my co-pilot. Like, really? Is He really your co-pilot? Because I don't even think you deserve to be on the plane. But, but that's our mentality. That's what your heart says. Your heart says, I want to be God. And we forget and we forget and we forget and we forget. So Solomon says, remember. Remember from your youth. Remember while you are alive who you are. Remember who God is. Now in closing, we're going to look at um, a, a letter that Paul has sent to the people of Galatia and in really just this, this strong urgency to remember because so easily we forget. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be flipping through Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. There's not another gospel. Don't don't hear that wrong. But there are some who trouble you and who want to to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed." As we have said before, now I will say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So they forgot. They forgot. And what's so interesting is they were there. 
Right? They lived it. They saw Jesus. They experienced the suffering. And they still forgot. They were there. He keeps going in chapter 3, 1 through 5. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Right? Who's tricked you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He says, you were there. It was right before you. Who has tricked you? You were a witness to this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? And, and I love to think, man, if I was only there, it would have been no problem. I would have been right there, seeing him rise, seeing him crucified. They were there. They saw it. They experienced the suffering. And Paul says, Who bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? Who bewitched you? How did you forget? How did you forget? You, you suffered with Christ. And you forgot so quickly. You forgot to pay attention. And Paul answers all of this in 4, 4 through 7 by this theme of remembering. He says, don't forget what happened. Don't forget, remember what happened. And this is what happened in 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So, so, so this is what brings us to our deepest possible joy here. Right, right? This is where we get that from. This is where our rejoicing comes from. Our rejoicing comes from understanding and knowing that you and I are no longer slaves. That we are no longer under the curse. That we are sons and daughters of the King. Right? It's not just that we get an inheritance. It's that we can climb up to the throne and sit on the king's lap and he will call us my child. Right? That's where remembering comes from. That's where our joy comes from. That is good news. That's the gospel. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. It's easy to forget. Remind yourself daily. Remind yourself who God is. Remind yourself who you are. Because when we do, when we do this continually, our roots will grow deep. They will grow deep and we will be firm in who God is and our joy will flow out from us and our affections will be stirred and we will move closer to Him and we will call on Him, Abba, Father, I love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. So remembering, remembering is, is the deepest possible joy that we can have because it's the best news out there it is the best possible news out there and so solomon wants to close and say this here's the end of all matters here's the end all that's been heard you you've heard everything you you've experienced my life which is far greater than anyone will ever be able to live Right, right? We, we remember that. We remember what he said. You will never be able to live the life that Solomon lived. But he said, I've told you everything. I've lived a life far grander in height and depth 
than you ever will be able to do. And, and here's what it ends up being. Fear God. Right? Remember God. Remember who He is. Remember what He has done. When you do, your joy will never be taken from you. It never will. Keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. So remembering creates a joy unspeakable. And when we understand that we remember, and when we understand that life is ending quickly, that life truly is the vanity of vanities, which I'm here to say, that I think that's a good thing. I think it's great that life is here today, gone today, because guess what? There will be a day very, very soon when I don't have to remember, when I don't have to bid my mind to remember the good old days, when I can see God face to face and there's nothing between us. So thank God it's vanity of vanities. Thank God that it's short, because I can't wait to go home, right? Because this life isn't the way it's supposed to be. And there is tremendous suffering here. Thank God that it's ending quickly. Thank God that I don't live forever. But thank God that heaven's coming. Thank God. Remember today. Remember. So as we close in prayer, um, as we take communion, that's what it's about. That's what communion's about. It's about remembering. It's about remembering what Jesus has done. This is the greatest act that we can do to remember who we are, to remember what he has done for us. So, so when you're taking communion, remember today. Remember who Christ is and what he has done, and soon we will be with him. Let's pray. God, your message today from Ecclesiastes is, is weighty, but it is glorious because there is going to be a day very, very soon when we don't want to wake up, when our bodies will hurt, or when we want to go home to you, and there will be a day soon. And thank you that it's soon that we will be with you. I thank you that this world is not forever, and I can't wait to be with you. But Lord, while I'm alive, let me remember who you are. Let me remember what you've done. Lord, draw me closer to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.